Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Brenda Hefera. Wait, you're not Virginia. <laughs> I kid. Unfortunately, Virginia is home today. She does not feel well. It is not COVID, thank God, but we have some great guest hosts. You just heard from Brenda, and we couldn't replace Virginia with just one person. We had to really pull out all the stops. So we also have in the studio, Marguerite Bowling. Welcome, well, Marguerite. Good to be here. So how are you ladies feeling? All good? No no, no colds? Healthy. And I have three kids who are constantly sick. <laughs> Walking germs. Yes. That's the children. <laughs> Did you make it through the Christmas break without getting sick? We did. Wow. that's yeah. You need like a medal or a certificate or something. But in the past winters, it's been nonstop. So I'm very used to this. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's kind of expected. Yeah. You know, no. you kind of anticipate you're going to get it sick at least once every it, winter. At least. I actually was sick on New Year's. I think I mentioned it last week. And I was sad about it at first, but then I ended up having like the best New Year's even though I was alone. Like I was cuddled up in a blanket Mm -hmm. and I like would take naps on and off. I woke up like right around midnight to watch the ball drop and then went to sleep at like (laughs) 12.05. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's good parts to being sick. So, yeah, get a little bit of rest in there. (laughs) You wake up not hungover and starting off the new year right. Exactly. (laughs) That's really. Lauren, what do we have queued up for today? Up on today's Problematic Women, why are so many cities adopting vaccine passports? D.C. is just the latest to do so, but some conservative lawmakers are pushing back. Plus, Reese Witherspoon's daughter says, quote, gender is whatever. And you may have noticed that the shelves are pretty empty at your local grocery store. We'll explain why. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Well, visiting the nation's capital will be a little trickier after January 15th if you are not vaccinated. Come Saturday, those who do not have a vaccine card won't be able to enter bars, restaurants, gyms, or places of entertainment in Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser made the announcement earlier this month saying the action was an effort to curb the spread of COVID-19. Kentucky Representative James Comer and South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman sent D.C. Mayor Bowser a letter asking her to drop the vaccine mandate. They wrote, like the Democrat lockdowns of 2020, the leftist left-wing vaccine passport fad will not prevent the virus from spreading. They added that they believe the vaccine mandate will only harm the district's economic recovery and lock many Americans out of their capital city. D.C. is not the first to issue a vaccine mandate. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, Boston, and New York City all have similar vaccine passport requirements. So do vaccine passports actually help to prevent the spread of COVID? Let's look at the data from cities that instituted a vaccine passport. L.A. County instituted its vaccine passport rule on November 29th. The week before, the seven-day average was 1,194 cases. By the first week of December, the seven-day average was 1,597 cases and has continued to climb. 
All right. So D.C. is not the first to issue a vaccine mandate. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, Boston and New York, all cities that you do not want to be on the list, have similar vaccine passport requirements. And then there's the issue of privacy. So whether or not you're vaccinated, Marguerite, do you feel like this is a violation of privacy? And do you think it really does anything to help stop the spread of COVID-19? And what are your thoughts working in D.C. and now having this mandate where if you just want to go grab a sandwich for lunch? Yeah, you can't go inside. Yeah. It's it's insane. Um, no, I I feel like it's it is an invasion of my privacy to be asking if I've taken a vaccine or not. Um, it and it, if they were honest and said, "Hey, this vaccine is not curbing the spread like we think it is," um, I think people might be more open, you know, to getting it. But it's it's not curbing the spread. So them requiring it on the basis of this is going to stop the spread. It's kind of a lie. And so I, I, I have a I have a real issue with that. Oh, I think a big question in some people's minds is why is it anyone else's business, mm-hmm. right? Um, getting vaccinated doesn't prevent you from getting the virus. It doesn't stop you from spreading the virus. So isn't it just simply a personal decision based on your personal health and the decisions that you make for your family and what is best for you? And why is it that the government should be forcing people to undergo a vaccine and to take a vaccine? And it feels like the D.C. government is really trying to shame people, right? Like it's these young kids who are healthy who now can't go to the bar on Friday night, which is such a joke because for those of you who aren't familiar with D.C., so D.C.'s, you know, generally small land area. And so you could go five miles and you could be in Virginia where right. same bars, same people. <laughs> you could totally go out or, you know, go north to Maryland. Yeah. And so it, it seems like it. they're all just, just trying to show that they have the ability to do this, which hopefully. Hopefully I? it's not going to spread to the suburbs because you're right. I think Maryland and Virginia are going to pick up the business that is going to leave D.C. because some people are going to put up with these kind of restrictions, but others will not. Um, and and you've even I, I've even noticed that with the mask mandates, you know, some counties in Maryland had them, some didn't. I tended to go to the places where they didn't, um, and that was my personal choice. But I, I think Americans are going to move with their feet on this. Well, and it's interesting. So a big thing all over the country is that student that schools send eighth ninth graders to D.C. on field trips, but this applies to everybody twelve and up. So not only is this affecting. D.C. residents, but think of all the tourists that aren't going to come because they don't want to either they don't want to support businesses who have the mandate or they just people can't because they don't have the vaccine. Right. And there's a serious question, especially when it comes to children, about whether or not the vaccine is actually the best decision for their health. There, We've seen some studies come out for young boys in particular that there are some negative side effects with their heart. And so there is a real question there of is it the proper decision to get your child vaccinated, which should be up to the parents, mm. rather than the government saying, no, you must if you want your children to be able to go to school? Oh, it's it's disgusting. Like, it is just it is so infuriating. And it's, you know, every time you don't think the government could get like any more in our lives, it's like <laughs> they do this and you're just like, oh, my gosh. Right. And one of the unintended side effects, I think, is confidence in our mm. institutions, mm. right, of – We've gone back and forth on so many things and there's been so much misinformation of 
Masks works. Then they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. And then ten days, five days. Exactly. <laughs> you have to quarantine for two weeks. Then it's ten days. Then it's five days. And it's like, what's the real answer here? And oh, the vaccine. After everyone gets it, things will go back to normal. And everyone should get vaccinated. And then we learn, oh, actually, the vaccine doesn't prevent you from spreading it to other people. So it really has undermined trust in who do you believe on these issues and what's the real science? What's the real fact if everything's are constantly changing? Right. The science isn't settled, but our government's acting like, well, the no, the science is settled and this is our science. And it just doesn't match up with reality. Yeah, I heard somebody the other day on the air as they were talking about COVID. They're like, we're actually we're fortune tellers <laughs> <laughs> because whatever, you know, the crazy conservatives are saying six months later yeah. is now what the CDC recommends, which I thought was funny. One other thing um, interesting about D.C. is that years ago it was actually called Chocolate City because of how heavily populated it was with African-Americans. And the African-Americans' vaccination rate is way, way lower than, you know, the affluent whites. So when you're thinking about who does this really hurt, it's people who live in D.C. who now can't go to a restaurant. And and think of those businesses that are, you know, you think of like Jose Andres in downtown D.C. is going to be fine. But smaller restaurants over in Anacostia and lower income areas, if 50 percent of their base cannot go to the restaurant. I mean, these implications are not just dumb, silly government policies. Like these are going to hurt real Americans who are already struggling, you know, to find workers that with increased costs, with not being able to get the supplies they need. The government's just taking all the air out of for, for you know, businesses or people to do anything. Right. And it's not clear how much they're taking into account those sorts of costs, right? And it's really hard to make these decisions. It's a matter of prudence. One Another factor is that every time the GDP goes down 1%, suicide rates go up 1%. Wow. So that is also a death toll, right? That is something that we should be thinking about and taking into consideration aside from direct deaths as a result of COVID. Those are sort of indirect costs. Yeah, and it's also making a two-tier class of our citizens, which is never a good idea. Mm. Well, stay tuned because next we talk about another thing COVID is impacting the shelves at your grocery store. But first, I want to tell you about a good way you can follow the news and stories that you care about, the Daily Signal YouTube channel. The Daily Signal YouTube channel is always a great source for fun and informative videos, but especially right now. We've just released a couple new documentaries, one which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, and entertaining clips from podcast interviews, and so much more. Go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so you stay informed and never miss out on the news that matters. You may have noticed that your local grocery store is looking a little sparse these days. The empty shelves are a result of supply chain issues, the rise of COVID-19 infections, and severe winter weather. So have you all experienced this lately in your lives? If you're going into the grocery store, what is it that you're seeing? Are you seeing empty shelves in D.C.? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Aldi on the show. I'm, I talk about it probably, probably more than I just discovered Aldi. It Isn't is it amazing. amazing? <laughs> but uh, you used to be able to go in and get any kind of lunch meat that you want. And now it's like, do you want turkey or ham? It might seem like a little thing, but still it's weird as an American to go and be like, 
what, where's the food on the shelves? You know, there's not as many vegetables on the shelves, and it's 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 a little scary. Yeah, I'm out in uh, Bowie, Maryland, and it's uh, I'm starting to see it somewhat. Mm. And uh, I have noticed at times just things like the diapers I would normally get at um, the wholesale club we belong to would be out and just out. And certain things just disappeared all of a sudden, and it's because of these issues. And it's back – remember the gas shortage a couple – was that months? Yeah, we were driving down to South Carolina when that was happened from Maryland, and we were just trying oh, desperately no. to find a gas station so that we could go down and see family. It was insane. Isn't it scary? Because you're yeah. like, what do I do? You know, like if I didn't wasn't able to get gas today, right? You can't go to work. No, you, uh, for I, for me, I love to go to the gym. You can't go to the gym. You can't pick up your kids, take your kids to school, like. It, it is. Well, you can't go to the gym anyways right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just to look at it in, in a good light, which I think the only good light you can look at is like it should make us feel grateful to be Americans because how many people mm-hmm. around the world, this is their norm. Right. But like for us in the, you know, America in the Trump era, we had record-breaking jobs and the economy was booming and you could get anything cheap. You could go anywhere cheap. But now, you know, flights are canceled. The shelves are empty. And it's like, how? what is happening? Yeah, there's a young man from Venezuela who's a refugee who wrote an article mm. uh, not too long ago, I think at the start of COVID, about this very thing of this is what it's like in Venezuela normally. Right. Um, And is this what it's going to be like in America? We're not used to these things. Good on him for speaking up, Mm because can you imagine finally fleeing that and getting to America and being like, oh, no, it's coming here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we did a little research. We asked Heritage Research Fellow Joel Griffith, and he said it's because shortages in manufacturer goods, government COVID-19 policies, that which cause unpredictable, often abrupt changes to supply and demand, environmental and labor policies in the state of California that have to do with shipping backlogs, and COVID-19 policies such as social distancing, vaccine mandate, testing, that, you know, the ports and facilities, they just can't. It takes them so much effort to put these in place that they don't have the bandwidth to then actually do what they're supposed to do. Right. So isn't some of it, at least in part, because a lot of people have gotten the Omicron variant and have had to quarantine, which is possibly some of the push for pushing back the quarantine period to five days rather than 10 of just everyone was staying home. And I believe that's why a lot of flights over Christmas were canceled because they didn't have the crew members to manage those flights. So thinking about this, I mean, it's scary when you see the shelf. So like, God forbid, the stores went away. Do either of you guys have any like survival skills or can you guard in to be able to survive in the apocalypse? <laughs> well, I, I will say I'm a my, my husband and I are part time preppers. We have been like looking at certain times when we felt like we needed to stock up. Um, and with three kids at home, we have like a three month supply of food um, and some water. I, I think that's good anytime, mm-hmm. you know, considering natural disasters that happen. You, you see how the country or our area shuts down over snow. Yeah, like two inches of snow. <laughs> like there's no bread on no. the shelves. No. <laughs> and what's awful is I needed bread and milk the night before the oh, snowstorm. No. I'm like, this is just not helpful. Oh. Like you millennials don't need <laughs> Yeah, bread you and don't milk. need this. Like, I do. Like, just get your beer, like get all out. Like, well, let's save, save the bread and milk for my children. <laughs> 
But it is good. It's good to go back to our roots, right? There, there's actually food in your yard. Like you can eat some of the um, some of the 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 weeds that you have. Mm. And I'm not saying we need to do that in bugs <laughs> and everything else. But there's things that we can do and things that we can. Self sufficiently do to to kind of help us. We don't need to be so reliant because um, yeah, Uber Eats is not going to be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be mind me like. Oh, so there's no grocery stores. Well, can can I just call? Can I get some on my phone? <laughs> Instacart still works, right? <laughs> Yeah, I am terrible at gardening. Absolutely. <laughs> like in a previous job when I was an intern, one of my jobs was to water the plants and I killed a fern. <laughs> which is like supposed to be really difficult to kill. It's really terrible. I also – I had this plant um, that I was so proud of myself because I had it for years. I had taken care of this thing and then I was off. I was – traveling internationally for a month a couple years ago and my roommate did not water the plant the entire month I was gone and it survived. So I'm like, this actually has less to do with my tending <laughs> than the hardiness of the plant. <laughs> Right, no, I'm definitely in your camp. Like I've I've also killed. A, I had a fern that I named Fernie Sanders, and someone gave it to me. And I like I had a pair of broken glasses that I put on. Everything it was really cute. But um, yeah, same thing. They're like you. I'm like I'm gonna kill this plant. And they're like I promise you, you can't kill a fern. And then like yeah, two minutes, two months later, there's my dead fern. <laughs> but well, I sympathize. Luckily, I think we're good for now. But it, yeah, it's just it's still scary to go to the shelves. But also scary is. Some celebrity news. So Reese Witherspoon, we all love her. I mean, she's her roles are just great. Um, Legally Blonde, uh, Sweet Magnolias. It's just there's something comforting about her acting. However, her daughter, Ava Phillips, is 22. She has almost a million followers on Instagram. And someone asked her, do you like boys or girls? And it seems like a pretty easy answer. Do you like boys or girls? And she actually responded with, no, she just likes people. <laughs> Like, how's that thing? Like, I just like people. So it's pretty obvious why this is concerning and the idea that gender is just a social construct and it's whatever you choose to identify as, right? And we're divorcing sex from gender. Um, but why else do you all think this is concerning, the comment that gender is whatever? It it, it demeans, I think, the the differences between men and women. And it just tries to make this weird middle um, and, and it's also scary because she's got a ton of followers and they're probably young and young people that are very impressionable and are going to take these these opinions as facts and, and run with it. Right. We've seen in the work particularly of Jonathan Haidt and Abigail Schreier mm. the impact that social media has, particularly in young girls and mm. teenage girls, that they're very easily influenced by this. And this is why the, the transgender girls who identify as transgender has just skyrocketed just disproportionately in this area of social in this era of social media. So social contagion, basically, um, and it, it is terrifying. And because uh, for me, I'm like, I, I, I know Reese Witherspoon, but I, I don't care what her daughter says. Um, but, you know, a 12-year-old girl who's following this might have a very different viewpoint. 
Yeah, we think of a 22-year-old as like a, a little, little baby, right? Oh, I my mean, gosh. <laughs> we love you all, the 22-year-olds that are listening, but, like, <laughs> you're very young. Like, you're just maybe right out of college, maybe a senior. But you're right, Marguerite. Like, if you're 12 or 13, like, a 22-year-old is, like, an adult, and they go to college, and you, they say this, and you think, like, oh, wow, and that's so cool. I mean, it is kind of cool when you think about it. Like, I'm not attracted to men or women. I'm attracted to people, right? Like, it sounds sounds artsy, but, like, when you think about it, you're like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> like, you have to be attracted, you know? Like, to be, just say you're attracted to people. Like, it's just, it's A, it's a cop-out, and B, you're right. Like, it just adds this, like, lie that gender is fluid and that, like, you can be whatever you want to be any day of the week. And that's just not how we were built as humans. Right. It's And it's so pervasive. I mean, divorcing sex from gender started with second wave feminism and really took off in, in third wave mm-hmm. feminism. And it runs contrary to this idea that actually human beings are bodily creatures. Mm-hmm. Like, our bodies do actually matter. It's not important, more important than our soul, but our personality interacts with our mm-hmm. body. So it's really just not possible to divorce your body from your sex. No, and it also, there's there's this hang-up on... Like, my body has to feel a certain way so that I can be this gender. I mean, I just don't sit there every day going, oh, I feel like a female today. I just, I am a female. I go about it. Um, But for this younger generation, like, there's there's this mindset that I have to feel this arbitrary certain way or act this way. Otherwise, I'm really not in these prerequisites for being this gender and I must be this gender neutral thing, which back in the day we would just say, okay, you're just kind of a normal person. Yeah. I mean, like, how many days are you, speaking of being sick, like, you don't feel good. It's it's yeah. winter. It's really cold. So you're like, I'm just going to put on sweatpants and a sweatshirt and not wear any makeup. And, like, you totally feel like a dude, right? But, like, you're not a dude in that moment. You're just, like, comfortable, right? Like, it doesn't have to affect, like, your gender. You're just like, no, I'm... I'm in sweatpants today. Yeah. That's the thing about feelings. They pass. They're like the weather. Just give it a moment. <laughs> it's going to change. It is not set in stone. Well, Ava, of course, has had a very different life than anyone. She grew up in the world of celebrities and paparazzi. And even her mom, Reese Witherspoon, said that she didn't have that. She didn't even really know what homosexuality was until she moved to L.A. because she grew up where you know, she had her parents and her grandparents. And, you know, there wasn't – she wasn't exposed to that. So Ava was dating her college boyfriend, Owen Mahoney, as of this past summer. So I guess she did date men at one point. But we don't know currently who she is dating. Do we know if he identified as a man? Oh, wow. Oh, wow, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> who would like <laughs> – the world is so crazy. Like empty grocery shelves. People can be whatever we want. Kids can't go to bar. Like perfectly healthy kids can't go to bars. Like what is going on? Well, kids wouldn't go to bars. You mean young adults. I mean, I'm thinking of my kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not going to go. I'm thinking of 22-year-olds. <laughs> oh, well. Her comments are being celebrated, of course, by outlets like E! and People magazine. So not surprising. But here are problematic women and in your social circles, when stuff like this comes up, like what do you think our response should be out, you know, just having normal conversations? Because obviously we can't have these rants. Or, you know. <laughs> I see it as you're, you're entitled to your own opinions. That's the beauty of this country where we, we value free speech. Um, but I'm not – um, required to believe um, that your path is the best path of life or verify it or validate it. Um, Ava's very young. And I think 
our opinions and our attitudes change over time. So, you know, maybe she's being coy to give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she just doesn't want to ask the que- answer the question. Um, but this idea that somehow we have to buy into this because it's socially acceptable right now, I think that's something we have to push back against because very soon the government latches on and then they try to force us to go along with this. Mm. So, Brenda, I'm all the time. I'm out with some friends and maybe they're a little more liberal and they, they don't know – exactly what my ideology is. You know, I'm, I don't sometimes be like, I'm a conservative and we can't, you know, like, and they might just drop like, oh, yeah, he, she, whatever, or like talk about what their pronouns is. How do we have conversations about these like crazy leftist ideas with our friends where we can kind of rein it in a little bit while still, you know, approaching it where the person doesn't completely shut down? I will jump in and say that I've found with liberal friends I, or people who I just know are not at the same level of me um, and conservatism that it's – you just come to well, a no, point. Not many people are at the same level. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like way out there. <laughs> we need more um, Yeah, so most of the people that I know in the D.C. <laughs> area, um, it, it, you come to a point of commonality, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it, it, it's it, – again, it, it, you're not trying to take away the freedoms of people. Um, but at the same time, you you don't have to necessarily – buy into it. I think it's a case by case, yeah. you know, um, because I, I don't want to sit there and insult somebody if they're really insistent um, on pronouns or something. I really want to look for commonality. But at the same time, I'm not going to affirm something that goes against my deeply mm. held religious beliefs. Mm. Um, so it, it's something that I think you have to be sensitive to. Mm. Um, but the other side could be a little more tolerant. As yes. well. <laughs> the tolerant left needs to be more tolerant. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> So I think one of the things to do is to go back to fundamental questions. And, mm. and this is a question of nature, really. Um, so like we talked about earlier, that you can't separate the body from mm. the human being. Human beings are bodily creatures. So a very simple example is um, one of my brothers is about a foot taller than me, and he probably has at least 50 pounds on me. <laughs> He has a very different experience in life, just walking on the street, walking alone at night, for mm. example. And just because he can observe, he can look around him and see that he is bigger than the vast majority of human beings on this planet, actually. And so that is a way that his body is actually interacting with his personality and who he is. So it's just an oversimplification to say that sex and gender are completely separate. Because once you realize that your body actually does matter, you can't go there. Wow. Well, Thank you, guys. It's been so great to discuss. I'm sure we'll have lots more celebrity gender news here in the near future. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters... The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. So now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to... Partially somebody who's in the room with us right now, but Marguerite Bowling, Patrice Nwuka, and Patty Hildago Menders. 
These women were part of a really great video that the Heritage Foundation just released today called Moms React to Woke Children's Books. Let's play a clip. Ah, I want to throw up. I don't understand this. Who made up these words? There are lots of ways to be a boy. I don't know what that means. There are lots of ways to be a girl. I don't know what that means either. And when I read all of these terms, uh, it's like people are just creating things out of out of nothing to make themselves feel good. It's very confusing to a child. It has no business in a book that is meant for children. All right. So before we get too deep into the video, I just want to address like the fact that these books exist. I mean, when you guys were growing up, was there anything ideological at all in your children's books? What was that? Are you there, God? I feel mm. like that was kind of controversial. Mm. There were a couple. <laughs> yeah. They, I think they had to do more with feminism. Mm. Never ah. this gender identity stuff. That's really, you know, kind of took, I would say, took off in like the 2000s. Um, I think the book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie, has really good economic lessons. <laughs> <laughs> if you give a democratic lawmaker oh, goodness. You know, the ability to make a mandate. <laughs> Well, and so Marguerite, so when yeah. – had you read those books before you sat down? No. No, no. no so that was all like – That was all off the cuff like you're you're really making me do this. I was kind of <laughs> expecting some hazard pay from Heritage yeah. after that. <laughs> so like what were your thoughts? Like when you were reading it, like what was going through your head? I mean was it even more – Besides the fact I would not read these to my kids because, yeah. um, again, my kids are five, four, and almost two. So they're very young, very impressionable ages – um, and they take a lot of what I say as fact. Mm. I uh, I would not read these to them uh, because it just sets off this conversation of like all these concepts that I don't need to be bringing up. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff they were saying in there. Um, one part in the video, I go two spirit because literally I, I had I had not heard of two spirit before. <laughs> that was a new one for me. But you cease to be about gender identity, and you're going into a, a really in my mind a theological argument. And I'm not I'm not even going to enter into that. You know. And certainly not expose my kids to that. Well, and you homeschool, right? Yes. So we started homeschooling this year with my my daughter, who's the oldest. Yeah, because what what do you do if you're a parent and these books are in the schools? I don't know. That was part of our concern was just we did not want our daughter exposed to these concepts that we feel are harmful um, at such a young age when we had the opportunity to just homeschool her. And it's really impossible to monitor almost, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's probably a bin of books in these classrooms that maybe parents go through every single one at the beginning of the year, but I'm sure things are added during the year. And so to be able to actually monitor this seems quite difficult. Yeah. I, and I don't know what the – I mean, again, we, so we've just checked out of the, the public school system. You know, We ne- never even entered into it. But I don't even know what the, the options would be now with COVID restrictions. It, could you even go into the classroom and see? Yeah. You know, usually mm-hmm. you can't see the mm-hmm. curriculum unless you go to the school physically. Wow. One of the things in watching the video, the first book is by Jazz, which mm-hmm. I believe is, is – Jazz I am Jazz. Jazz Yeah, Jenner. the one that who has the um, – Jazz Jennings. Yes, Jazz Jennings. Abigail Schreier reached out to her to try and interview. and Her being her, that she was born a boy. And yes, then he, yes. now he slash she is now a, it was a big TLC, I believe, show. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So Jazz had a lot of, de- struggled with depression mm. for a year, put off going to Harvard, and gained about 100 pounds in less than two years, struggled with some eating disorders. So... She or he claims he or she is happy with undergoing yeah. the surgery, but there has been some 
struggles right mm-hmm. after this surgery and had to go undergo multiple surgeries. Yeah, if it's supposed to, if it's supposed to be such a magic bullet that we should be teaching it to our kids, you think this is not the case, right? Like this person is really going through something. And it, it's a cop-out. So kids are going to just naturally, as they're growing, they're going to feel discomfort with themselves and their bodies as they understand who they are. I mean, who of us today doesn't have sometimes some discomfort with our bodies and our, our you know, just who we are? But for children, you know, there's a lot that they're learning. And I see that in my daughter. I see in all three kids. But I see it in my daughter where she's learning how to cope more with things. She's understanding the world and that the world is more than just herself and her parents and her family. So you you enter in this this gender identity and it, it almost just seems as a way that they can glom on like, oh, if if you're feeling bad about this stuff, you you might have an issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would say, no, you're fine. Let's let's talk this through if we're having legitimate problems. Right. This seems to be some sort of pivot in the medical community and probably society at large of affirming when children say this rather than educating them. This, this is a shift in how yeah. gender dysphoria has been treated. It used to be that you would kind of wait and see as the child developed what was going to happen. And now we've reversed that stance and are actually affirming. And there can be penalties for people who don't affirm a child who says, no, I believe I'm a member of the opposite gender trapped in this body. It's just – I think this is like the fourth time I've said it on the podcast. But the world has just gone. Bananas. Up is down. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marguerite and Patrice and Patty – it does take some guts to go on camera and read these and say these things. So we just really appreciate you for, for doing that and, and being a reasonable voice that people can watch and, and really relate with. And hopefully people will watch and share and we'll, we'll include the entire video in the show notes. So please go ahead and watch and share with your network as well. And with that, it's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women, Brenda, Marguerite. I am just so blessed to work in a workplace where, Virginia, I know you're going to listen. I really hope you feel better. But there's just problematic women. I could just stick my head out the hall and be like, hey, can you guys come on? And it's like, of course. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's just so fun to have, have you guys on. So I really just appreciate it. pull them in as they yeah. walk past. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> it's great to be on. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a huge difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.